This podcast is produced by Unedited. I just don't believe in being one thing. I, I just wanted to be taken seriously and I didn't feel like, I didn't see any images of overweight female DJs. Trust your gut instinct is always right. And he said, well, like, whatever it is you want to do, just go and get it. Leave your job. It's easy for LL. Who to, to say exactly. you're rich? I'm Anika Allen and welcome to episode eight of the Black Magic Podcast. In this series, we give black British women the space to talk about themselves unapologetically and to celebrate themselves. In today's episode, still singing sensation, Misha Paris. If I could give my younger self advice, um, it would be handle your business better. It took me a long time to get my head around business. I was terrible. I was such a creative. We're going to be talking with Colleen Harris, who's a TV presenter and journalist, and DJ Melody Kane, who as the name says, is a killer on the deck. She's a hot DJ. How are you? What's good? Hello. <laughs> so let me get you guys to introduce yourself. So first up, Colleen, tell, tell us who you are, what it is you do. So I'm Colleen Harris. I am a presenter, a producer and a reporter. I work in news on the BBC for the flagship 6 and 10 o'clock news. Um, and I also present the 8pm bulletin on BBC One on a Wednesday. And uh, I come from a music background, so I, I was a singer I still am a singer, still sing. And uh, yeah, so was in a girl band, one a mobo, all of that. So quite a varied background. Just, you know, girl band, one a mobo. Yeah, don't skip you know, over that. Yeah, it's like, a, a long time ago, you know. It doesn't matter. How long ago? Oh, God. I was 19 when I left the band. Oh, my gosh. I don't even now want to, I don't want to say that. But it's about 20 years. It's 1999 is when we won. What was the band called? Amoye. Moye, so yes. R&B? Yeah, R&B with a tinge of raga. So we had an MC in the band. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> it was good. Okay. And I detect an accent in your voice. I think you're kind of from my original neck um, of the woods. Yes, Coventry in your Birmingham, right? Yes, I was yes. a, a Brummie Brummy yeah, lass. Yeah, yeah, Coventry. Living in London. <laughs> cool. And so Melody, um, people that don't know, you miss what? do you do? I'm Melody Kane. Hi. Hey. <laughs> um, I am a international DJ, presenter, host, um, fitness fanatic and just, yeah. It's kind of funny when people ask me that question, you know, like, what do you do? Because I feel like there's so many things that I do, but really just the umbrella of it is DJ. Yeah. DJ presenter. We don't have to be one thing anymore, do yeah. you? No. You can diversify. Yeah. Buzzword of the Yeah, time. I think that's the beauty of, of living in the now because kind of years ago, you know, people were expected to just kind of focus on one thing and if you mm-hmm. didn't, they'd be like, oh, you're a jack of all trade, master of none and actually, actually you can be a jack of all trades, matter of them all yeah. and and you're seeing so many people doing that including yeah. myself and you guys so I think it's we're living in such no, a great time you're doing a lot you're doing you're, you're much busier <laughs> yeah. than me okay good I see you I see you that's definitely the way it's going though mm. like just doing it your own way and putting fingers in different pies I think yeah so Melody as an kind of international DJ and there's not when you think of the UK you think of female DJs I always think, I think the list is, the list could be long, but not many names tend to come to mind. Do you Obviously think so? Yours. Even now, I feel like there's quite a lot now. I, I think there's a lot, but I don't know if they're getting the kind of love or the prominence of, of a lot of them. I don't, mm. like, Colleen, name me some female DJs that come Do to you. Do you know your... what? When you said that, I thought immediately of 
Lisa Ianson. Do you remember her? Wasn't she a DJ? Yeah, old school. Yeah, yeah. This is, she thinks exactly. <laughs> so you like, like, said the word. She didn't even say. She didn't even say DJs that are now. She went. She went to old no, school. Because you were saying about you know, I was just thinking, God, who was there back in the day? Yeah, but I'm but now, now I'm saying, I'm saying now. I'm now. saying now. Oh, pulled out for the God. Lisa. Cry, Lisa. What female DJs? Yeah. I mean, you know, see, that, it is. see, that's my point. So, so even though you think there's a lot, and <laughs> yeah, there probably are, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of prominent female DJs. No. And so it's like, well, why is that still the case when actually there's a lot more women kind of getting behind the decks, but they're not getting the kind of love or the attention? Um, you know what? In my mind, to be honest, there is a lot. Yeah, I think there is a lot, but that's because I feel like maybe because. I'm a DJ. I am all like, I'm looking out and I know who the other DJs are, I suppose. It depends what you mean, really, because there's different types. You know what I mean? You've got presenters that are popular presenters that, you know, DJ as well. Adele Roberts. I mean, yeah, Adele's amazing. Adele's an amazing DJ and an yes. amazing human. I really like Adele. So you've got like, you've got, actually, Adele Roberts is a great, a great one to say because she started as a DJ. You know what I mean? She, mm-hmm. yeah, she started as a DJ and then when, you know, then became a presenter and is, you know, still a DJ and now a presenter as well. So, um, but yeah, like, there's not many, I don't think that are, there's a lot of presenters that DJ and then you've got, you know, um, social media popularity females that also DJ. Um, and then you've got DJs. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got people like Cyan Anderson, who's a really good DJ. You've got, um, <laughs> see, look, see, look, no, see. No, because I need to take a moment to make sure, because what I want to do is name okay. the females that I know are good DJs. You mm. know what I mean? Rather than presenters that DJ. Tiffany Calver, she's a good DJ. Um, uh, Jam Supernova, she's a good DJ. Um, Madame X, she's a great DJ. But how did you get into DJing? How did I get into DJing? I feel like it was always my destiny to be a DJ. Like I'd always had a love of music um, and I'd always been fascinated by DJs. And whenever I was spending time in clubs, all of my friends would want to get with the DJ for the, you know, for the kudos and the perks. And I'd actually Mm. want to be the DJ. I wanted the perks of being the DJ. I saw the way that they controlled the crowd. I saw like everybody was in the palm of their hands, the musical selection. I was just fascinated by them. I became really fascinated by watching um, EZ and the Dream Team. And like it was in that era. Um, and I basically, like, cut a long story short, I basically had, like, a life-changing trip to Atlanta um, where I met LL Cool J in a club and he just chatted to me for about five minutes and we just spoke about um, following our dreams. I told him I wanted to be a DJ and he said, well, like, whatever it is you want to do, just go and get it. If you want to be a DJ, you go home, you leave your job, you become a DJ. So obviously it's easy for LL Cool J to, to say, say exactly. you're rich, you can do whatever you like. But um, but I did, I actually followed his advice and I quit my job. I just spent a year at home practicing, lived off sardines on toast and yeah, like honed my craft as a DJ. And, and that's really, it's not a, a really a more glamorous story than that. That is kind of how I started out. But the way I actually became a DJ was that in my mind, I became a DJ and then the universe moved everything to make that happen. Because I honestly believe like once we say something in our mind and and we mean it, not just that passing thought, but that reoccurring 
image in our mind of what we want that won't go away and we can't be distracted from it that's when the universe is like okay you've been having this consistent thought so it's time to make things move into place for you so the 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 way I became a DJ was deciding in my mind that that's what I wanted yeah I'm a big believer in that as well and and you made it happen so and and you've come a long way since since when you Mm. started I mean how many how many years has it been now it's been like being a full-time DJ it's been like Nine, nine years, nine, ten years. Yeah, DJ like ten years, full time DJ for about nine years. Which I feel like it's when I say that, I feel like it's a positive and a negative because I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, I've been going in, I've been putting in work for this amount of time. But then I look at it as in, right, like if I've been doing this for this amount of time, I should be, you know what I mean? Like at the the level, the the visions that I have for myself. You know, I seem I would like to see myself in. Obviously, we all do, don't we? We want to see mm. ourselves in a much higher place than we're at. So, like David Guetta levels, kind of where you're. I mean, but being able to DJ, yeah, not yeah. Playing think, mix, exactly. But... <laughs> well, that's a that's a thing. Yeah, he, that's a thing, though. He's he, he's at a level where I I went to Ibiza and yeah. was in a club with him, and I was like, oh my god, literally, my man's just pressing play and just been like putting his hands in it's the air, and be like, yeah, yeah he just plays and, a mix. and getting paid like and getting hundreds paid hundreds of thousands, of thousands of pounds. I was like, that is the life. It's mad. You can't <laughs> the hustle. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think being just. Just just achieving the levels that I want to achieve because my, my vision for myself and my dream is always to travel the world and play music, which is what I do. Yeah. So eventually it comes to the point where you're like, okay, I'm doing what the vision I had for myself, but then obviously the grander scale of that is making a career and a legacy out of this that, that my family can be proud of. And I feel like I'm vastly far away from that. So, yeah. Well, you might feel that way, but you're on the journey. And yeah. I think that's... Um, as as women and as people often you kind of don't it's about celebrating the successes of your journey mm. because you've just said that was your vision to mm. travel the world yeah. and be a DJ and there's so many there's so many women out there that want to be DJs or would love to travel the world mm. and actually don't even get don't even get out of London mm. <laughs> and get out of England it's, and you're you're doing it it's been amazing for me like I just like music is my passion and travel is my passion and food so to be able to travel the world and experience different cultures and food and DJ like I can't tell you just how fulfilling it's been for me and life-changing as well so Mm. yeah but yeah more of that do you think you could have done those taken those risks now though because sometimes you know when you're young and you you're starting out do you know what I mean I mean I didn't yeah I wasn't really I don't really want to say too much to give away my proper age but I didn't I didn't actually start when I was young yeah, I didn't start DJ when I was young. I like, you know, life didn't go that way for me and I had different things going on. So I didn't actually start DJ until quite late on. Yeah, okay. to be honest. Mm. But I hear, I know what you mean like, yeah. in terms of risks. And well, you I think, think as oh we God, get. I can't really go, I can't do that. Because, you know, you said he told you to go home and quit your yeah, job and all that. And I just did, yeah. yeah. As, I think mm. as we get older, the, the, that, that that fear factor yeah. is more prominent, isn't it? That yeah. no, no, don't take risks factor, mm. yeah. But I think at any age, regardless of if you're young or if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, I think it's about kind of not letting that fear hold you back from doing something you want to do in life because mm. otherwise you, you'll just live with regrets. You'll live with those what ifs yeah. and nobody nobody wants that. No. Um, there's an amazing woman called Ernestine, and she is uh, 81, I think. And oh, she's you see, you, the you, fitness lady. Yeah, yeah. and she's a, a bodybuilder. She's the world's mm. old, oldest bodybuilder. And she didn't start exercising, not just bodybuilding, but didn't start exercising until she was like 70, mm. in her yeah. early 70s. She looks fantastic. And she's amazing, like yeah. literally amazing. She's so inspiring. But, you know, it, it's just proof that, 
like whenever you decide to do something you Mm -hmm. can do it as long as you don't let the fear stop you you know there's not really any age limit on things it's just us that stops ourselves Mm -hmm. definitely we limit ourselves so you started off kind of doing music but how did you get into the presenting so it was um so after the girl group it was weird because um i was the youngest in the group so it was my first sort of um, experience in the music industry mm. so it was fine but the group sort of disbanded and I was thinking God what am I going to do with my life now and I think I did Can really I just have... ask before you say that was the group bitchy you know when you think about girl groups and <laughs> when you think girl groups for you know <clears throat> you think you think oh there's lots of bitchiness lots of maybe was, a bit of backstabbing It wasn't easy okay. I, I, It wasn't easy so, so I want to know more about this before you before you continue why wasn't it easy? It just different personalities <laughs> and managing right. different personalities that wasn't an easy thing to do and I think just everyone had different expectations mm. and so managing those expectations especially because we we were kind of managing ourselves and then we had sort of managers along the way yeah um was it like Destiny Child was someone the Beyonce and no uh, no it wasn't actually we were all kind of lead singers okay um yeah we were all lead singers but there were strong personalities in there so yeah it didn't it wasn't so we sort of disbanded and we sort of split two and two and I think I just, at that point, I was like, oh, you know, because I'd given everything to music. I'd been in that group for four years. I went to the Brit school. So that was my life. I always said, I'm never working in an office, nine to five. I'm going to be a star. You know, I was. I just loved singing. Yeah. I'm a performer. I'm a creative person. And then I kind of took a year out working because I, in the back of my mind, you know, I had my dad on my case. Like, you know, he was supportive, but he... It was always about the academic route, my dad. Mm. So um, I thought I've got to have a backup. Um, and I went to uni and decided, because I, I did some writing on my year off as well, yeah. for New Nation newspaper. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I kind of went into journalism, that r- route, because my other passion was, I guess, I fell into that. I didn't realise at the time, but I started to love black history and and you know, writing for the black community, yeah. underserved community. I loved every minute of it, every minute. And so, yeah, I got a real grounding in that for four years, some of the best years I've had. And I think because, partly because when it was an under-resourced paper, so you get to do more. Yeah, you have to. You have to hit the streets and knock in the doors when, when, I don't know, maybe knife crimes happened and you're having to go and talk to the family to do in the celebrity interview. Well, exactly. So basically the... Birmingham riots I remember we got a tip off so I went Mm. to Birmingham in 2005 it was and I just embedded myself in the community and we ended up with this two page spread all these quotes everything it was just it spiraled into the riots obviously so Mm. we were there from before it happened that kind of thing getting into the communities um, and getting to the heart of the story you know I was covering stories in Paris there were 50 African immigrants that died in these um, old buildings and it was it was one of a series of them mm. and I got sent there I, I offered actually you know, talking <laughs> about that fear thing I was just like yeah I'm going I didn't even <laughs> speak French but um, I, I you know it was just an amazing experience um, so yeah I went that route and then graduated into the BBC, learned about broadcasting and then got into the mainstream media, which is completely different to navigate as well, especially as a black woman, different experiences. I was in the regions, you know, mm. Essex, Norwich, you know, so it was, it was a great experience, um, especially now where I am at Network uh, National uh, Telly. So it's, it's still a learning experience, really. And it's been a long one because I've been doing that for 15 years now. Oh, a long time. Yeah. So 
you said you're both um you're both doing a lot of amazing things and have very many kind of facets to your careers and what it is that you do and what you love kind of professionally, but even personally, you have things that you love outside of work. So, Melody, I've been seeing a lot of kind of fitness stuff <laughs> online that you've been doing. And I've even attended um, one of um, Melody's classes, what she calls No Cane, No Gain. Where, Thank you for um, saying it right, because everybody <laughs> gets it wrong. They're like, no cane, no pain, pain, gain, caney way. And I'm like, it's, just, it's no cane, no gain. Exactly, just your surname <laughs> <Yeah>. and game. <laughs> so, what made you get into the fitness side of things? Um, so, I think I've just I've I have a love for fitness. Um, I used to be quite big, and um, how always, big? Well, um, my weight fluctuated. I think I was very slim until I was about eleven, um, and then I kind of when I went through puberty, I put on weight, and uh, like all through my sort of adolescent years and and in my early twenties and stuff, I would say. I would sort of fluctuate between a size 18 to a size 22, 20, 22. So it was quite big. Wow, you can't, you can't imagine you like at a yeah, size 22, yeah, 22. I was, quite, I was quite big. Um, because I'm curvy though, I always sort of held it quite well. So it was always yeah. proportionate. So my breasts would really grow like massive, but then my bum would be big too. And so it was proportionate. But yeah, for me, I, did, I was did big you feel comfortable at that no, size? No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. Did I'm people not, ever comment on your size or? Um, was it- yeah, I mean, people did. I was, you know, I wasn't small. Like I, I held it well, but I was never comfortable in myself. And then I just kind of became that. Oh, you know, like the loud, fat, funny one. You know, I was always like the fat, funny friend. So, yeah, it, I, I never really felt fully comfortable in myself. And I think that's that was like an integral part of me changing was you know wanting to be taken seriously as a dj and when i looked at the images of the female djs that there were you know Mm. like in terms of sexuality it's like the female djs that there were were like some of them were over sexualized and then but the ones that weren't you know they were very slim and and Mm. i I just wanted to be taken seriously and i didn't feel like i didn't see any images of overweight female djs like with guys it's fine it doesn't matter what you look like or what size you are does it if you're a guy Mm. and you're a dj you can just do your thing but for me even though I didn't want to go down the, you know, sexy route, I just wanted to feel comfortable in my skin. And I just knew that to be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve, I had to take my health more seriously. Um, so was there, was there um, kind of a tipping point that made you take your health more seriously? I think, well, it, to, to be honest, like my fitness thing has gone in stages, really, because, I, you know, I started training and, and I lost weight, but then I would always fluctuate because I was just doing all these crazy fad diets. Like I was actually talking to my friend earlier about all the ridiculous diets that I've done. And she was laughing because <laughs> she's done the same, you know, from light alive to the maple syrup, you know, Cut, diet yeah. with lemon and cayenne the Atkins pepper, diet. The Atkins <laughs> diet, Weight Watchers, you know, Slimming, Slimming World. World, all these ridiculous things are really all I needed to do was just actually eat healthily and exercise. You yeah. know, there's no that. As soon as I started doing that in life, then you know I, I, I became healthy. So it's really just more about a lifestyle. But the healthiest I've been is when I like became vegan about five six years ago. That's what really changed my like so my health. Vegan. Yeah, I'm vegan. So oh, wow. that's what really changed like my 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 eating habits and probably like. When I first turned, so I was, I stopped eating meat and, but I was still eating fish. So I was pescatarian Mm. for a few years. Um, and then, yeah, as soon as I kind of just cut out dairy, like as soon as I cut out dairy and became vegan, that's like, that's when I feel like my, my everything changed, like my clarity and everything changed for me. Um, 
and and then just alongside that, the training became like more of an integral part of my life, and I just started feeling different. Um, well, you know, what? at the moment, I'm actually on a th- I'm on day eleven of a thirty day juice fast. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm just having juices, but. Normally, <laughs> Colleen's face is like yeah. juice yeah. every day. <laughs> hell no! Hell, day hell no! It's granola, yogurt, yeah. and banana. I'm addicted yeah. with some honey. You know, I like for breakfast. I have like a breakfast smoothie. So I have um, banana, cacao, almond milk, uh, dates in a smoothie, and um, I might have or I might have like a spelt spelt flake porridge. Do you or I have chia it? seeds. Oh my god, I love it. Vegan well, food is so tasty. Six years, I guess. And yeah, I think you it- haven't. I can tell you haven't tasted <laughs> vegan food because the face you're making is like you. Vegan food is so tasty. You don't understand. And there's so much so options good. today that you can so um, and restaurants that you can go to now for vegan food. I mean, and you can see that it's changing, kind of particularly yeah. within London, because um, you've got like. Um, Veggie Pret now. Yeah. <laughs> you you wouldn't have had that six years ago. Yeah, we need to go to. I need to take you to. There's a oh my god, there's an amazing burger bar on Brick Lane called Moshi's. Moshi's Burger, vegan burgers. The best, literally the best burgers you'll ever taste. Jackfruit burger with sweet potato fries or even King Cook Daily in Box Park. My mouth's watering because I'm on this <laughs> juice fast and I'm thinking about cooked food. But when I when I come off this juice fast, then I'm just going to go on to raw vegan. So no cooked food, just raw food, yeah. For what, for good or just to, just as temporary, temporarily? Probably, definitely like six days a week and then maybe one day a week I'll have cooked vegan food. But I'm, I'm you just... You don't get lightheaded or anything? No, not at all. Just reversing wow. the aging process. That's good. Yeah, good. I, I want to try it. You should. You're mm. gonna. Yeah, like, you're I think. Love it. Do you know what it is? I think you need recipe books, don't you, to know like to vary it. If you're cooking at home, no, no. I think you just. I think you've got a, you've got a one to do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't even yeah, think yeah, it's about yeah. the recipe books. I think you've just got to be determined to actually want to do it in the first place. Like I always say to myself, oh, I want to eat more. I want to mm. eat more healthily, and I don't think vegan life's for me at this moment in time. Mm. But I definitely want to. Um, kind of incorporate more of that kind of food into mm-hmm. my eating habits but to do that you've got to, one you've got to, one to do it and I think two you've got to, it's about kind of just um having having food at home mm. or you know like having food at home so that you can actually cook do you know cook, what I honestly feel or, like um, knowing I mean, where knowing where the restaurants are that serve that yeah. kind of food it's a change complete change I, I feel like and I hear you and I hear you but I feel like um, and it's not because I do it but I honestly do feel like it's easier I'll tell you why because you have to have like a creative way of thinking which you both have um and there's no excuse now with social media. All you will literally have to do is just put in the hashtag vegan or That's vegan true. recipes and you'll just get a whole page of things. Mm. And it's it's just about, I think, changing the mindset of having to have meat with everything. For example, you can literally at home just have, um, you know, some brown rice, some, uh, you know, a sweet potato and some chickpeas. And out of that, you can make like a banging curry, like a chickpea and um, coconut true, sweet potato mm. curry. Yeah. You know, you can make the like an, an amazing meal out of um, spinach and potato where you, and onions where you can like little make potato patties. And it, it's really easy. And I think I would recommend you watch What the Health on Netflix because I think yeah, once you see... I've been watching that. Yeah, what mm. they... Put, what, what the, the Health... health. Oh, Once you see what they put that. in the meat, yeah, yeah. 
it will stop you eating it. I actually did a survey and the largest consumers of pharmaceuticals is the farming industry. So basically um, what that means is that the pharmaceutical companies are providing the farming industry with the most amount of antibiotics because the animals are so sick because of the conditions they're being kept in. Um, They're putting so many antibiotics into their bodies to make it edible that you're then ingesting that. So, I mean, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm not one of these strict, strict vegans that doesn't wear leather you know I, I haven't got to that stage myself yet I do still have leather shoes and you know I do love animals but I, I haven't cut out everything to do with in terms of what I wear um so I'm not a strict vegan in that sense I feel like there's different levels of veganism for me it's about my body and about what I put inside me and I know what I want to achieve in life and I know that I want to reverse the aging process and I know for me to function at like the highest point in terms of my ability I don't want to put meat or dairy inside me or fish I mean Mm. Melody exercises she's vegan Mm. is there anything that kind of you do to kind of keep yourself kind of happy healthy Uh, when I can I go to the gym so I had a week off last week and I was there every other day most Mm. days actually and then I got back on the work shift again so the timing's been a bit out Um, other than that it's guitar I have a guitar at home so I kind of just you know I just play around on that and just it's a really good de-stressor because about a month ago I was doing a lot I was working the shifts but I was also pitching ideas and getting to report them I was filming a lot on my days off and um, I was getting a lot of migraines and I I am not a person who's getting migraines like yeah. over the years I've been getting I had a, I used to get like two a year and I was having I was having them every week and I was having spells of six days in a row wow. of migraines so that's your body's way of telling you oh yeah it's it happy. so painful it's the meat it's it, the meat and dairy <laughs> the vegan. But you know what? I, you know, I got onto migraine tablets. Uh, you know, so they were fine. But I thought I can't keep taking these tablets, no. not like this, because they're so regular. So then I started. Um, I thought I need to do something. I thought in the end, I put it down to being on the computer so much, and then being on the phone computer. So because it was just too much. So then what I would do is either read. So I've got my books, my Black History books, or I would pick up my. Um, guitar and mm. it just it's went it off. just went the, the migraines have just gone and obviously I had some time off and relaxed and it's really helped if occasionally I'll do a bit of yoga but it's just a bit ad hoc really what I do to de-stress mm. reading guitar and yoga sometimes you need to kind of have that time away from kind of technology and kind of doing those daily things to kind of take the stress off our brain I think we we forget how much kind of you're looking at the phones you're looking at the computers and how how much it can affect us you know years down the line I'm sure scientists are going to come out with all the so much information saying we say and data saying we shouldn't be doing half the things that we're doing but for now I think in ourselves we have to train ourselves to kind of minimalize our time kind of doing these things and And, and just sort of managing your time I think time management of your day is a good thing Um, and that's not always easy to sort of get control over I think so Mm. that and and just yeah a nice healthy balance instead yeah. of watching people on Instagram live a healthy life I think try don't and... be scared to turn your phone off literally once yeah. a month I just put my phone on aeroplane mode and mm. I just won't turn it on all day and I'll just you know have that day to do whatever we're so like we're so on our phones we're so... Mm. you ever just be on the tube and look up and just everyone yeah. is like it's <laughs> like everyone has the same position on their phones everyone yeah. is like it's, a, it's nice to detox sometimes 
Oh, definitely, definitely. And we've seen detox and kind of spend time with friends and spend time with family because, you know, I guess it's the memories we make with people that I think are important kind of in this life. Melody, speaking of family, how are you managing kind of your time as a DJ, but then kind of spending time with your family? So say like your parents, or mm. just family in general and things. It's been hard, you know, definitely like the last 10 years or whatever it is, as I got more you know, trying to... I think when you're just hustling and you're head down hustling, you you don't realise that years have passed by and you haven't really, you know, given the right amount of time to family and friends because you've been trying to do this. And, you know, I feel feel like, you know, your family and friends, they do understand. My parents is a bit... Yeah, my... Well, my mum's not well anyway. She's in a home because she's got dementia, so she doesn't actually remember who I am. So, like, yeah, when I see her, it's all a bit... It's a bit intense anyway, so... That's that's a bit of a weird one, but um, my dad and with my dad, like he's we're quite. Where do I put it? We're like quite independent of each other. We just we we just kind of love from a distance, if that makes sense. But when mm. I need to see him, I see him. It's one of those. My I had, I don't come from a close family, so my family is a bit of a weird one. I've never yeah like I've never come from one of those families where everybody keeps in touch or you know anybody checks in or it would literally be months and months and months and months and then you know like I'll speak to my dad or you know like months will go past and I'll speak to my brother. I've never really had that that kind of family thing so that's enabled me to just kind of focus on my career really yeah and does it I mean obviously I guess you're not close as a family but kind mm. of seeing your mum now going kind of experiencing dementia and things mm. you know how has that been because I guess you know memories of kind of you growing up or your mm. life together is it it's a case of she it's really intense to be honest like my my mum I left home at 14 from like my mum's because she had like quite an extreme breakdown and and kicked me out so we haven't the weird thing about that is is that like from the age of 14 to 17 18 we didn't really talk too much but then when I was 17 like you know something happened which meant that she just you know didn't speak to me again so we hadn't actually spoken for like 15 years or whatever and then um, my brother just called me and said oh you need to go and see mum because I don't think she's well and I went to see her and then it was like the first time I'd seen her in 15 years and she was just sitting she was like a really proud she's my mum's Jamaican so she's a very proud Jamaican woman and was very proud of her of her tidiness and when I went to see her I went into her her, her home and there was just like magazines and newspapers stacked up everywhere and that she was just sitting in a chair so instantly I knew something was wrong so it's like this is like a work in progress, I think, that I'm trying to deal with the situation because on the one hand of things, like, I'm obviously really sad. You know, my mum's got dementia. She doesn't remember who I am. She's really young as well. You know, she's only 65. Um, she's young. She's very, very young. Um, but but I really believe that, you know, all illness and, and, you know, that's not to discount anybody's experience with the illness that they're having, but I really believe that, you know, things can be combated with not only mindset, but with the way that we treat ourselves as well. And I think, you know, I think that my mum's, my mum suffered with a lot of depression and, you know, really struggled in this country because she came over here from Jamaica and there wasn't the support that she needed. Um, I don't think, you know, well, no, I know. I know there wasn't the support that she needed because we, we, I grew up, I was born like down in Sussex. So she met my dad in Birmingham when she came over here and, um, yeah, they they moved down to Sussex. So in those times, in like the seventies and eighties, 
Um, you know, there was a lot. I mean, there's still racism now, but there was extreme racism then, as in they'd mm. never seen this. You know, there's a there's this Jamaican woman, dark skinned woman with a white man, and there's these mixed race children. So there was there was a lot of you know. I know she dealt with a lot, and we dealt with a lot as children. Um, and she wanted us to have a good education. So, you know, we were in private school for a time. And there was all these things of trying to put us through the motions of this life. But, like, in terms of what she went through as a person, you know, she went through a lot. So I think she experienced a lot of breakdowns and, and felt a lot of loneliness. So I feel like her spirit kind of left her body a time ago. And and then the dementia is almost just a result of that. So even though it's like it's heartbreaking when I go to see her and she doesn't recognize me and she's I can honestly say that she's her happiest because she was so sad in, in terms of her life. And she was so, so unhappy in terms of the life that she was experiencing. Now there's almost, you know, because there's nothing there. She yeah. just wanders around aimlessly, happy, eating food. She's been someone that's always exercised her whole life and cared about how she looked. Now she's just, you know, eating biscuits and cakes and just... <laughs> it's so funny. I, I shouldn't laugh, but it's like, it's, it's okay. heartbreaking. But on the other hand, like she's—I just feel like she's free. You know what yeah. I mean? She was so unhappy. She was. Some people just are deeply unhappy and have deeply unhappy lives, and yeah. as heartbreaking as it is, sometimes when all of that goes and they just become like the spirit's gone, she's just a body now. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, and then, I can't remember what the original question was. Sorry, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's the beauty of um, even though she had a deeply unhappy life. That's the beauty mm. of your life. Is I think I think maybe your experience growing up with your mum's kind of you've seen that and you've been mm. like, actually, that's not the life I want. I want to be happy with my life and the choices that I make and the things I do. And you can kind of you can see that through through what you're doing as a DJ and just for how you're living your life. Mm. And so you, you're happy and you're living the best life and trying to be the best you you, you can be. Mm. And you know through the exercise and being vegan you're, you're thinking about all these things I think I feel like it's something that I really want to focus on because my my mum's my granddad had dementia as well in the end so there's that side of me that feels like oh like my memory's really bad like my biggest thing is forgetting faces so I panic you know like every time every day I panic thinking okay is this the beginning of it so I'm trying to really just make sure that I can do what I can do in terms mm -hmm. of how I eat how I carry myself you know, my mindset, how I pray, how, you know, everything to try and just, mm. yeah. How do you think your parents have influenced the person you are today, Colleen? So I'm really close to my mum mm. and my dad, actually, but I didn't, you know, I grew up with my mum. It was just always the two of us. We were like two peas in the pod, you know, but um, my dad was always in my life. My dad was the first of his siblings, the only one of his siblings born in Barbados. They're both both sides of my family are from Barbados. And last year, I went to Barbados twice, once with my mum, once with my dad and his side of the family. And it mm. was his first time back in 54 years. Wow. So he was born there, left when he was six to come here. And he'd never been back. Why had he never been back? <sighs> I have no idea. I mean, he's travelled before to other places, but he's just, we never had that opportunity. And so we all went for his 60th last mm. year. It was amazing. A lot I've of people are seen, like that, though. It must have been yeah. intense and beautiful. Well, it was beautiful because I'd never <coughs> seen him like that. He's, he's a rasta. He's got long locks, you know, mm. and he was just free over there. Yeah, that's mm. what I mean. He I was free. He was... Yeah, I'd never seen him like that. He, you, you know, you're... Mm. 
when he was over there, he, at home, he, he, he expanded. Was back. Mm. I, I could see his body expanded and he walked differently. And I, it's like a peacock. He, he was thriving <laughs> yeah. there. And yeah. it was really, really lovely and nice to see that. So, um, yeah, that was a really defining moment for all of us. And it's brought the family together, I think. My cousins um, and, my, you know, my siblings, you know, we're, we're not as close but we're trying to get closer I think you know it's hard families are hard aren't they I think families are hard and I think like anything I think you know obviously families you can, as I say you can you can't choose your family but you can choose your friends yeah and like your friends I think you have to put in the work with your family as well if you want to if you want to kind of build that relationship and sometimes sometimes the work's easy sometimes the work's hard depending on who that family member is but I think it's like my, none of my family are in um in London so I have to constantly make the effort to kind of arrange kind of times when I'm going up to Birmingham and when I'm going up there I'm like okay I'm coming around to your house or I'm gonna let's go you know out for dinner and catch up and or calling family members to kind of just keep keep in touch and things and I've got various family whatsapp groups as well just so even though half the time I probably won't join in the conversations I still feel a part of kind of what's going on because then I'll see maybe like my twin sister and my cousin talking about arranging to pick up him, each of his children or yeah. going to a family event together and I can't be there and sometimes I feel like I'm missing out but you know my life's here and that's and I'm I'm happy and I'm building my life but also I do here? I'm happy here I've been here a long time now I've been here God, lived in London like 17 years mm. so you know London London is home and so um so I think it's it is about you know family is important to me, but also um, my work and the things that I love are important to me as well, and they understand that. So um, it's funny because I felt guilty for a long time about. I think actually there was a point where I thought, "Wow, I put all this energy into chasing a career, and where are my family and friend networks?" Mm. And so I, it started to dawn on me, and then we lost my cousin to suicide and um, he only lived down the road. He's from Coventry, we're all from Coventry. He was living on the same road as me, my my mum at the time. He was only young, he was a twin and that shook everyone. Mm. And I think from that moment, it sort of woke us all up and that we have to work together, you know, to bond, to just keep in touch, to make sure everyone's okay. Definitely. You know, you can just keep Mm. going and not, even pick up the phone and and speak to anyone so I think that was a sort of a wake-up call really that you can be laughing and joking with someone and not really know what's going on inside especially somewhere like London which is it can be very lonely the rate of 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 suicide amongst young black men is very very high yeah very very high and I think um Set with my family, my nan, when she passed away, so she was the matriarch of the family, so she was the one that brought everybody together. So she would have the fa- be throw the family events, and mm. you you better not dare not turn up if you didn't want if you didn't want her kind of knocking down your door or calling you, or cussing you, saying like, "Where were you?" Mm. And and I think a lot of my family was disjointed after that, but kind of slowly but surely, we're all the next generation are kind of making a habit of kind of coming back together and things. And we even called a family meeting at one time because we said, "No, we're not having." We're not having this. You can't have younger cousins not knowing who who their cousins are, oh and it's not you know it's not it's not cool. Next thing you know, yeah. you've got cousins that are meeting on street and they don't even know their family. And we're like, no, we're not we're not having it. So, I think with like friends, I think with family, 
you still gotta make that kind of conscious effort. That's if you want, not, you know. That's if you want to. That's if you want to. I see this book in front of me, clean <laughs> that you've got so called Black and Britain for <clears throat> Forgotten History. Um, yeah. so each of you, have you got a book that kind of you would recommend or that changed your life? Um, for me, I would say. Well, two really. For me, I would say The Power of Now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was my one. That's my one. Oh, I was yeah. going to say that. The Power of Now by um, Eckhart Tolle. I've read that. Just, yeah. For me, I'm somebody that, like, I over-procrastinate and, and I think, like, my biggest downfall is overthinking and r- regretting, you know, things that the actions from the past or worrying too much about the future and the power of now has really helped me with, you know, the whole premise of the book is that you have to live in this exact moment. There's no other moment other than now because Mm -hmm. there is only the now. There's no past because when we're in that moment in the past, it was the now and there's no future because when we're in that moment in the future, it's the now. So that's something that's really helped me um, in terms of, of the way that I think, um, yeah, it really helped me a lot. I would say if you want a quick read, something you can just read in an hour, um, pick up Who Moved My Cheese. Again, that's about the same, it's, mm. it's the same premise, um, but it's a quick read. Um, and again, it's just basically about, you know, what happens when you're trying to hold on to, to something that's gone, that you're blocking your blessings of the things that are trying to come to you. Yeah. Um, it's just told through the story of these two mice and, you know, they've got this massive... Um, it's just got loads and loads of cheese and they go and eat the cheese every single day every day the same pattern one day they go the cheese is gone one of the mice just can't understand why the cheese is gone and keeps going back there every day hoping the cheese will return and that other mice goes off looking for new cheese mm. and it's just about the perspective of how we view things and how we move forward so yeah mm. those those books have been really helpful for me what about you Colleen? yeah mine is the power of now I think that I was going through a really bad time um, in a very toxic relationship and I was at the lowest ebb to you know I'd never I didn't even think I could get to that point to be honest um and it affected everything around me family were worried but that book it just freed me in a way it was the start of freeing me from that situation um I just remember I was just buried in it it's you know it's it was just about living in the now and just moving in the now and I think it allowed me to move away from the pain of Mm. the situation so for that moment I was just you know trying to focus trying to focus on one thing rather than lots of other things that I was that were out of my control at that time so that definitely I'd recommend another book that um see yeah I'm, I'm reading black and british a forgotten history by david olashoga um for me i've been doing a lot of reading on black history yeah um and it's because i think from that relationship i think i lost a, it stripped away a lot of who i was mm. so i've been doing a lot of searching um to find out just just to kind of feel a bit more centered you know because through life you get a lot of knocks don't you a lot of confidence knocks so um i think i'm at a stage now where i'm just trying to connect the dots and sort of trace you know especially with these books it's helping me to trace my ancestral journey and you know and just learn about the journey of how we got here not just windrush but the journey you know the passage to the west indies mm. and especially with 
with Barbados, you know, I didn't really know much about it. I knew Little England. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, Little England, because it looks like England. Yeah. But when you read it and you see that it was the epicentre of the sugar revolution and it was the first place England colonised and the slave code, the Barbados slave code of 1661 was the template for all the other the, the, the way slaves were treated in mm-hmm. all the other islands. It, it's just expanded my knowledge of who we are. And, you know, we weren't just slaves. We were here in Georgian times, Tudor times, exactly. all of that. It's just like, wow. And, you know, I've been reading this history thinking, right, so what am I going to do with this now? What's the point of this? This has been a question in the back of my mind. But I've realised it makes me walk a little bit taller, a little bit more, you know, with more, a little bit higher. And I think, yeah, as painful as that history is, it's helped me realise the journey and the sacrifice that the ancestors had. You know, there for the mm. grace of God, we could have been born in any other time exactly. and had that experience. But I feel like now it's my duty to not forget them and not forget what they went through. Um you know, but also, I think what shocked me the most is how much has been wiped from history or not taught. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and it's not, you know, I've been through that whole thing of reading about the experiences and getting angry. And then I thought, no, I don't want to carry this around. It's more just an educational experience for me. I'm just, it, I'm just so fascinated by it that I just can't get enough of learning about it. And it's good that you're learning about it because then you can also educate others and encourage them to kind of learn about it yeah. as well. I mean, I think we're at a really exciting time now where a lot more research is being done into this. There's a new book out now by Miranda Kaufman called Black Tudors. Mm. And um, I just think now we've got this information, we, we can't be... I know it, I'm not sort of rubbishing any movement to you know, improve the curriculum. But there is a self-responsibility for us to learn this for ourselves. The information is out there. There is no excuse. So I just think if you're interested, embrace it and read about it. And just, I just think there's so much to learn. I just think... They're never going to teach it in school, though. They don't want you to know. They don't. Well, the thing is, they they, they don't want you to feel empowered. Do you know what I mean? They don't want you to walk with your head tall. So, why is this stuff still not being taught in schools? It's never going to be taught in schools because it was so embedded in the state, in the royal family. It's like, but back, we're talking centuries. It's just like it was so, and I guess. I'm not saying it's a guilty secret, but you, you don't. Well, it is a guilty secret. It is, yeah. yeah it is, and but, so that's why it's not going to be taught in school. So it's yeah. down to us as it's down to us as individuals to to continue spreading the word and the message and educating people. I mean, I was lucky growing up that um, my mother she she sent me to Saturday school, and at Saturday school you would kind of do your maths and your English and things, but then you would have Black History lessons, and so you wouldn't just be learning about you know the standard what they teach in religious education at school like you you know um, like Malcolm X and your Martin Luther King and things we'd be learning about the Ashanti tribe we'd be learning about all sorts of different things we'd be playing kind of like um, various kind of African games and stuff and you know we'd be learning about Nanny and the Maroons and it's like oh my god you'd be like thinking like there's all these powerful there's all these um all these aspects of black culture that I didn't even know mm. about and I was I was lucky enough to learn about that early mm. and so and continue educating myself on the things that we've experienced as black people not a, not a lot of young people and not a lot of people have um, have had that and so it's down to kind of us to at least try and educate them and others to then hopefully encourage them to go and find out more themselves um, because you don't know what you don't know and I think that goes for a lot of things in life and some people are you know 
eager to kind of get up and find out them for themselves. But some people, until someone points it out to them, they're not going to try. The thing is, though, I think there's two things, ways of looking at this. So you can look at it as black history because it's our history, but it's British history. Exactly. It's British history because the two, you know, you can conflate the two. It's, it's there. It's mm-hmm. a relationship, isn't it? It's not. It's a dark chapter in history, but there was, you know, it's just, it is what it is. So I think what programmes like um, the F- Forgotten History, David's programme, what that did was... It was presenting it in a dispassionate way so that other people can engage in it, um, British people as well, without the, 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 you know. But British people, a lot of British people and society doesn't like change. I mean, look at there was an article on the front of the Telegraph where, um, um, a young black lady at Cambridge, I think, yeah. Cambridge University, yeah. um, you know, um, obviously they got the article wrong. In their article, they said she wanted to change the English curriculum and de- decolonize it, um, and to have more black authors. And, and so everybody was up in arms thinking that, oh, you want to get rid of white male authors and not, and, you know, it was a witch hunt against her. People sending her death threats and being racist and sexist and doing all sorts of things. And that was just a, a suggestion. It wasn't even, and it wasn't even happening. <laughs> so every so often, all of these things, do push back against that narrative and I think that's good that she's challenging that um, the institution mm-hmm. to include other history or just to, the full picture the true picture I think that's we're in a time now where I think um, the wider society may be willing to open up and look at that and uh, and look into it but like you say there are those that don't and they're pushing against it I just think it's interesting to um, that we're in different times now where we can challenge that and have a voice I kind of feel like we shouldn't give them a choice whether it's that or they want to open up and embrace it it's just facts I mean, like you can't yeah. deny the facts <laughs> so it's only a certain amount of time that the facts can continue to be ignored but you know people are rising up and the facts are coming out but I just think it's it's just so worth knowing I mean I had a cousin say to me Colleen because I was like oh do you know about this and they were like oh god you're not going to be doing all that you know pan-Africanist black power stuff are you and I was and I said what do you mean he said well you know I'm not worried about that I'm worried about where my next money's coming from you know this is a young one of my young relatives you know it's sad but but obviously they're young and so they think that now but kind of as time goes along that mindset may change it might do absolutely speaking of kind of young age and things if you could kind of go back to your younger self what advice would you give yourself Melody, do you have a piece of advice that you would kind of give your younger self now looking back? I I think I'd definitely say just stop, you know, hurting yourself with with negative thoughts and self-doubt. Because I think as I've become older, I've learned to understand that, you know, the, the feelings of self-doubt and the negative thoughts aren't actually a part of who I am. They're just an external, you know, an external voice which is driven by fear. So, and I, I think I tell myself to just, you know, just, make better decisions, you know, love myself a bit more and just believe in in what it is that I want to do and, and follow that path rather than get distracted. But I definitely say just, you know, have more self-belief and, and have more confidence and don't listen to, you know, don't don't allow fear to stop you achieving the things you want to achieve. I think everyone can relate to that. Yeah, Because right? you sort of grow, you know, you grow with the experiences that you have and... um 
Stay away from boys. That's what I'd say. <laughs> Stay away from men. They're what, till you're liars. 30. No, no, they're not. They're all liars. Stay away from them all. Yeah. What about you, Colleen? Colleen would say the same. Stay away from men. <laughs> um, yeah, I think pretty much a similar thing is the self doubt for me, I think. Um, and you can't please, don't try to please everyone. You know, I think I went through. I didn't even realise it, to be honest, that I was doing it. But you try, you try to please everyone. And I just think as time's gone on, I don't. And um, so I just think probably just not to doubt myself so much, I think, and trust my gut instinct. Mm. If there's anything that I've learned, you know, through the experiences of meeting other people, I would say it's to trust your gut instinct. It is always right. Just Definitely. trust it. Just go with it. Trust it. Don't doubt it. Don't step over it just Mm -hmm. go with it I think a lot of us um, have that little voice kind of in our in our head or you have that kind of like feeling in your stomach and you're like I should be listening to it and you go against it and then everything goes wrong exactly (laughs) so yeah so so definitely I think it's about listening listening to that your inner voice as Oprah would say yeah Mm. and you're like no shush and it's like no No, listen to what I'm saying yeah Yeah. don't go right go left yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) so Colleen how can people kind of keep in touch with you or find out what you're working on see you presenting and all that good stuff so my Twitter handle is at Colleen L. Harris and my Instagram is, just to make things complicated, is Miss Coles and that's with M-S-C-O-L-L-S-S. <laughs> you're, one of, you're one of them ones. When I do social media kind of training for people, I always tell people, be consistent on social media. So it makes it easier for people to find you on the different platforms. I'll be changing it now after you've said that. Yes, it, 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 Thanks it for makes the it easier. It's yes, true. there you go. Less, <laughs> lesson for this episode. And you, Melody? Everything is just at DJ Melody Kane. Melody of a Y, Kane with a K, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Mixcloud Instagram did I say that Facebook at DJ Melody Kane thank you ladies thank you for joining me thank you for having us thank you for having us thank you Misha Paris is one of the UK's most respected female singers with a career full of top 10 hit singles and albums worldwide She's even brought her talents to the West End stage, starring the likes of Mama, I Wanna Sing, to the Vagina Monologues. Here we hear from Misha Paris telling her story in her own words. Hi, my name is Misha Paris and I'm a singer. Singing I love because it frees me from this planet. It's the only way I could describe it. You literally have, well, I literally have an out-of-body experience when I sing. So I'm probably there on the first line of the song, but once that's gone, that's it. It's lift off. So it's a it's an escape singing. It's a gift. I've never known how it got there. Uh, my grandparents found out I had the gift when I was uh, five years old. I was singing Rupert the Bear, and my grandmother started running around the house telling everybody that I had this amazing voice, and that's where it all started. Then I started singing in church and started winning awards. My first award I won at Wembley and I was 11 um, at a convention, Pentecostal convention, which is a church body. And um, it all kind of started from there. The influence has come really from my father, really, because my father is the one that I get the voice from. My dad is, is it sounds a bit like Marvin Gaye when he sings. And he uh, plays the trumpet and the flute. 
and I was brought up in the church with my grandparents but when my father would pick me up at weekends and um, take us out he would educate us on every artist you could think of so my dad taught me about jazz he taught me about Miles Davis Ella Fitzgerald um, uh, even Brazilian jazz which is one of my favourite jazz mediums and um uh, uh, to Flora Purim, as well as Curtis Mayfield and Gil Scott Heron, because growing up in a church house, you know, we weren't allowed to play those records. Do you know? So when I, my dad would come over and play these things, I was just mesmerized and I just kept saying, I want to do this when I get older. <laughs> There's a lot of artists that are coming out um, that are new that I think are really exciting. A lot of uh, interesting and quirky, unusual acts. Personally, for me, I want to see more people of colour in the music industry. I want them in the, in the business. That's what I want. We, we know we can do this with our eyes closed. What we need is executives who are black within the music industry, especially in the UK. We're desperate for it. It's not so much like that in the States, but in the UK, we need more. And I would say to all the young people that, you know, stop trying to be in front of the camera. Go behind the camera now. That's what we need to do. If I came in the industry now, I wouldn't even bother being an artist. I'd just go straight to working within the industry to bring people in. If you ask me how many times have I had low points in my career? 30 years. I've lost count. It's been so many times it's been not very good. But you just keep going. Uh, the whole thing about life is you just keep going because you have a dream. You love what you do. You're passionate about it. I'm grateful that I've never had a job. This is the only job I've ever had. I came from college straight into this. I never had a job. So I'm very, you know, grateful. I thank God that I've had a 30 year career that has sustained me and my children and my family. And I've never had to do anything else. So what the hell could I complain about? Not much. I don't measure my success at all. I just thank God that people still like what I do. They still find me uh, interesting. They still book me and I still... You know, I think the reason why I love my career and I don't complain about anything, even when it's been not great, is because I've done so many things and continue to do so many things. I think if you... In my mind, I, I remember meeting um, a lot of my heroes when I first started who helped me a lot. And a lot of them were jaded. 20 years in and I remember I met them at that point when I was 18 and when I lived in the States and stuff and I remember thinking I never want to get like that I never want to get upset about singing my same hits I don't want to go there and I kept saying how do I do that then I started to think you know what there must be a point where you just get really sick of it <laughs> <laughs> and then I started, I didn't think about it again after that. I just carried on doing what I was doing or whatever. But then on my second album, this is when I knew something was different about me. The first album was like, you know, million seller, platinum craziness. It just went mental. And then when I called in to do the second album, they all said, you know, you've got to do this first album again. And I just went, what? No. I don't want to do that. I want to go to New York and I want to work with Mantronic and I want to work with Rakim and I want to work with... And I just flew out there and made this album called Contribution and got roasted for it. I even got a song from Prince. Prince put a song on there, do you know? And I mean, you know, who could get a song from Prince? You know, I, this is when I knew that I was definitely not a normal artist because I really gave the industry um, a hard time because I just don't believe in being one thing I think you've got as an artist you want to explore yourself in 
different mediums, you know, that's more important to me than having a massive paycheck. This freedom, you know, to be able to create with different people and, oh, you know, for me, it's just been great. But for a, a, a company, it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so I've given them nothing but hell. But to case to give you the, the case of why, you know, I, I, I haven't gotten jaded or sad about anything or hate doing this or whatever is because... Because I was experimental with different things, other things came. It's almost like the universe said, well, she's open to it. Give her that. You've got to have variety. And it builds you as, an, as a human being as well. And it makes you very seasoned. Because every time I work with somebody, I'm connecting with them. They're giving me something as well as I'm giving them something, which creates growth. And if you're not growing as an artist, you're definitely dying. If I could give my younger self advice, um, it would be uh, handle your business better. It took me a long time to get my head around business. I was terrible. I was such a creative. I was like, let the accounts deal with it. Lawyers, you know. Um, That's the only thing I would have done different. I would have been more on top of my game with business because um, it's so important. So this is the magic. Turn something challenging into something inspiring. Join every episode of the Black Magic podcast by subscribing on the Acast and iTunes podcast apps. We're also on Stitcher and Player FM. All the women featured in the series will be featured on the Colour Network website, where you can see videos and images of this year's Black Magic Awards. Do spread the word and share the magic. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Unedited.